It's time to heed the call of the wild and seek the higher calling. Higher Calling is the voice of mountain and forest wildlife and is hosted by award-winning wildlife journalist and conservationist Chester Moore. Be ready for an increase in altitude and a relentless pursuit of the creatures that dwell there. Welcome to Higher Calling. This is Chester Moore. For those of you who have followed my blog, you know I have an interest in because of crazy things that have happened to me in the field, human dangers in the wild. A few years ago, I was doing a seminar and someone asked me, hey Chester, what's the most dangerous thing you encounter in the woods? And they were expecting me to say a rattlesnake in the brush of South Texas or a feral hog or when I go into the mountains, a bear. My answer was people. People are always the most dangerous thing that you encounter in the wild because of the unpredictability. And as someone who loves to pursue the wild in really remote locations, unfortunately, sometimes criminals like to pursue their things in really remote locations and paths cross. And uh, while I was doing some research about uh, missing people, I came across a wonderful lady named Jerry Dean. She is the... um, I guess she is the webmaster host creator of Missing Persons of America. And we're going to talk about a unique situation here in Texas. So welcome to Higher Calling, Jerry. Hi, thank you. And I had you on my radio show, More Outdoors on News Talk 560 KLVI, about the Missing Texas 40. And we had a great response to that. And since our podcast audience is a little bit different here, can you explain exactly what the Missing Texas 40 is? That's a pretty intriguing title there. Yes, Missing Texas 40, it, it's right now, it's over 40, but at the time when I first started doing the research on this, I realized that there were a lot of people missing from a specific county in Texas and also in the county next door. So we have Montgomery County and Liberty County, Texas. And I began doing the research, and the numbers kept growing and growing and growing until I reached 40. And that's where the name came, Missing Texas 40. Well, you know, Montgomery County, Texas, uh, it's got a fair population. But for the most part, it's rural. I mean, it's very forested. And then Liberty County is extremely forested and very little population. And uh, from the number of missing people that are that are there over a time span, it seems like that there is a lot of stuff going on out there that is probably uh, flying a little bit under the radar. Now, what I find interesting about you is um, you're from California, right? Yeah, so, I am. So how did you find out about these missing people here in Texas? Well, it started out with, I, when I realized there was a couple of people missing from one specific, uh, actually it was Cleveland, Texas, they were missing from. And then I heard from the brother of the missing man and then later he told me there was another missing man, and then we found another one, and that's how it all began. And I, I was intrigued by this, and I started doing the research, and it took a lot of research because it's not in one specific place, but I went to the police reports, I went through Google, and I went news medias, and started gathering more and more. And then I thought was interesting was my son at the time was looking at this map that I was filling in. Mm-hmm. And he told me, you know what, there's a gap right there. You ought to check over that area. And I would go check that specific town and area, county, I mean, our area. And sure enough, there would pop up another missing per- person. So it was almost like a a, a round uh, 
round area that just almost like a Bermuda Triangle kind of a thing in, in that area. You know, what's interesting about it, what intrigued me as, a, as an outdoors person and as a wildlife lover, is that a lot of this has to do with something that a lot of hunters, fishermen, hikers, wildlife photographers, birders use, and that is a national forest. A lot of that area, that Bermuda Triangle, like you're talking about, is kind of based in and around the Sam Houston National Forest. Yes. And, yes, uh, you're right. And what's interesting about, so there are, there are like, I think there's four national forests in Texas. There's a Sam Houston, Davy Crockett, Sabine, and Angelina. And I've been in all of them. And um, this one is more probably one of the more used ones because it's the only one really close to a major metropolitan area. So it's pretty close to Houston. So you get a lot of people that will come in and out of there. So there's kind of a lot of, a lot of people that use this national forest. And obviously there's some things going on out there that are in and around that that are kind of nefarious. And you can just go to Google and type Sam Houston National Forest body. And there are numerous bodies that have been found in the Sam Houston National Forest itself. Now, some of these are obviously solved crimes. Some may not be solved. But once again, it kind of ties into what you're talking about. But let's go right back to the kind of that beginning. Was there a certain case that really said, oh, I got I to gotta really dig into this? Was there one that really intrigued you? One that really, well, yeah, it's uh, the the ones in the beginning uh, re- intrigued me because they were they knew each other and they went missing two years from each other. That one really intrigued me. And then there's a but there's it was a little bit later on with the more research that popped up a few years later, and it was over in like you mentioned over by the Sam Houston mm-hmm. National Park. They, they found his car, and they still haven't found him. And they knew, know he went in there, but they haven't been able to find him or locate him. And when I tried to get more information about this case and talk to the family, it, it was like they something was being covered up. It was really, really strange. I, I never could get much more information. They said, oh, yeah, he went missing in the forest. But then you, later on, you, you talk to him and say, well, we're not sure if he was there or not. You know, that's interesting because you think of a lot of these missing cases of uh, would be resolved by now. Because these go back, what, into the late 1990s? Uh, yeah, late late 19, yeah, 89, yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, you're right on, yeah. Yeah, so you would think some of these have been resolved. And have any of them been resolved of the, of the original ones that you looked at? Yeah, there has been some. There was one young man that uh, was that came from uh, Europe and, he went missing over uh, in Montgomery County, and he popped up. And there was another one that popped up, but that's but that's about it. Most of these, uh, I went back and refined my list last year, and you can see it comes out to forty-seven people, and it just hasn't changed. They yeah. just they go walking out the door, and they're never seen again. Yeah, and obviously with that many people in uh, an area like this, I mean, obviously there's something bizarre going on. But if you look at the demographics, I mean, there's seems to be a lot of males. There's also females. There's younger people. There's older people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and you, and you think just as someone as a journalist, I think, well, you know, Houston is, which is nearby, is the human trafficking capital of America. I mean, could that be an element of this? Could there be... Uh, things with some of the uh, you know drug dealings going on, and then you got You have to ask yourself because of the history, the unusual nature of this. You mentioned people that were connected. Uh, uh, is there a possibility of a serial killer operating in this area? Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of went over that whole uh, 
idea. Like you said, I've got my gang, serial killer, and I never came to a conclusion. I did a a uh, small video uh, two years ago when I went up there and went to talk to family members. Mm-hmm. And I had the same question. I go, is this a serial killer? Is And one thing I did notice that there was gang activity over there. I did the research because I saw some tagging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the tagging I, I came back to a particular group. But that doesn't mean they have anything to do with anybody missing. And also, too, if it was a serial killer, I suppose it could be, but he sure has a lot of variety. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to a specific type of person at all. Yeah, that's that's the thing, like, when I looked at it, because, you know, Houston has a pretty bad reputation, the Houston region there, uh, for serial killers, you know? So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you have the whole thing with the Texas killing fields out toward southward Galveston. You had Dean Coral there in Pasadena. Uh, Angel Resendez, I think, did some activity in there. Um, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, of course, a bigger area like that would be a place where an evil, twisted person like that would do some hunting. But this would be a very uh, varied serial killer. But, you know, just from someone, uh, as, as a journalist myself, looking in, to me it almost looks like that there are maybe numerous factors that are playing into this in this area. You know, and uh, but there's but the thing is, there's no proof. There's there's not a smoking gun out there, is there? No, there, there's not. And then also, there's not much attention from uh, the authorities. I mean, they they you can get them to report somebody's missing, and that's about the end of it. There's not really uh, they're out there pounding the ground and wait and looking until they find this person. Uh, even Texas Accusearch will go out there and they'll do a search when the sheriff allows them to, and they don't seem to find anything. But I, I, I don't know. And and then, the, but also there is, you know what? You just reminded me of something I, w- I wanted to bring up. Sure. Is there is a a lot of John Doe's that have been discovered, and mm-hmm. they're still unidentified. Yeah. And I've, I've been putting some pressure on here lately because I was doing a story about Clint Miller. And then they have uh, two John Doe's that they found over there in Moss Bluff. And one, they, uh, they're they waiting for the DNA to come back on both of these. And we're talking about a year. We still haven't heard anything back. And then there's also a jawbone that was discovered over in Cleveland. Yep. And that was going on two years ago. Still haven't got anything back. So uh, I've also kept a list of all the John Doe's and Jane Doe's found in that area. And it, the list just goes on and on. But there, um, for some reason, no one ever hears back who these remains belong to. And that's really interesting. Now, you have a lot more experience, obviously, dealing with missing people with your Missing Persons of America website than I do. Uh, do you find that maybe in some of the smaller communities like this that the law enforcement's resources are not quite as uh, extensive? Do you think that could be a factor in some of these investigations, like strapped resources? Uh, do, do you see that happening in places? Yeah, I well, I hear it from the families. They feel like they've been abandoned okay. and no one is pursuing it anymore. They'll take their re- Oh yeah, the person's missing, and they'll take a report, and that seems to be the end of it. Because 
what they do is they do their own investigating. Yeah. And they will find, they'll hear tips, they'll find information, and they go back to the police and they say, okay, well, this is what we found out. That's what we found out. And uh, if, if the more they go back to the police, the less they get a call back. It seems like they are kind of blacklisted at a point where, oh, you're, you, I'm not going to even respond to your phone calls anymore, which is kind of sad. Now, this is what I'm hearing from the families. So well, they, they do have information about what might be the cause of their missing person, but they can't get anybody to really go in there and investigate it. And is it lack of uh, funding? If it's lack of uh, force, is it uh, negligence? Uh, I, You know, it's just like the missing people. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, you I know, don't know what the cause is. And, that, and that's kind of the, the scary part of this. It's not only that there, there are these missing people, but that there's no answer, and there seems to be very little you know, concern about this thing. Now, obviously, if this was someone in a rich edition of Houston missing, there would probably be a lot more attention paid to it you know, than some of these areas. I've seen that before as well, where there's a media spotlight and these kind of things. And sometimes people that kind of little, even slightly off the grid, don't seem to matter as much to, especially the media, because, you know, if there's a, there's a, there's a missing person there in a, a rich edition of Houston or Dallas, and they're kind of known as a socialite, there's going to be coverage 24-7. But a little girl mm-hmm. or something goes missing in the forest or an old guy's going hunting, kind of fades out after a week or two. And in today's era of media, you and I both know, because we work in the media, social media world, if you don't keep an issue out there, it is going to disappear and people are going to forget about it, except the ones that are hurting the most. Yeah. Yeah. So social media is, is kind of a blessing now because if there is a case that grabs their attention mm-hmm. and they want to know the answer to, they're relentless. And they help bring a case up to the forefront and gets the media on board, which in turn brings the police into it to try to solve it because there's so much attention brought to a case. Yeah, I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with the smiley face killers theory and story, but there is um, a, a phenomenon of uh, young men that are found drowned, quote unquote, drowned in rivers, but their bodies mm-hmm. are never in a condition that, you know, they've been missing for 40 days. It looked like they've been in there for two days. And they've actually had a case that was actually changed from drowning to a homicide because of <clears throat> the interest of media and social media. So people do have the power to get attention on something like this. And, um, and think about those poor families out there that are crying out for answers, you know, because every family I've ever spoken with or you hear on a, an interview somewhere that has a missing person, they want to know what happened. They know yeah. their person is probably dead, but they want to know what happened and give them some kind of closure. Is that something that you get asked about? Like, how do we get closure? Or thank you for helping yes. us reach toward that. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's it, and that, that's all they are looking for. There, sometimes they don't even they don't uh, they don't even care what happened. You know, they'd like to have the answers, but they just want to know where their remains are so they can bring them home. It's so important to them that out. That's the one number one thing. I was just talking to uh, um, Billy, and she's the mother of Johnny Lowe, and he hasn't been identified as missing. And she got some 
information uh, a couple weeks ago, and I had talked to her before, and she was just absolutely just everything. I want to find where he's at, where's his body, where is he? She just come to the point that he had to have been deceased because he wouldn't have gone this long without contacting her. And she got some information that just changed everything for her that led her to the belief that, yes, positively that was the remains they found. And when I talked to her, it was like I talked to a whole different person. Wow. She was calmed down now. She was, she had just, she had accepted that that was him and she was satisfied that was him. And it was like her whole world had just come together and, and she could, she could now plan and she knew where he was and she knew he wasn't just laying somebody place where, um, you know, and all that awful stuff, and nobody knew where he was. But now she knows, and she—that—that's what I'm trying to get is that uh, to explain to you is how, what a difference a person goes through when they find out where the a missing person is. They just change, and they're finally able to have some resolve. Well, that's part of the goal of having you on the show today. Obviously, I'm trying to raise awareness to potential dangers to people who use the great outdoors. That's a really important calling the Lord put on my heart because of my own experiences that I've had in the wild. And also for people that are listening out there to not give up hope. If you have a missing person, use that social media, reach out to people, stir something up. Maybe you'll find that closure that you're looking for. You know, Um, you know, just, just to kind of cover some of my craziness, I have found two meth labs in East Texas in my life while I was out doing things. Now I didn't go in and look for the meth, but I'm pretty sharp guy, and I knew I knew what that sucker was as soon as I found it, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I so I've encountered two of those structures in my life in the woods and left, and uh, one of them uh, I was with someone else, and they they called it in. This was years ago, and another one, uh, literally a couple of days later, Hurricane Harvey came through. And that place would have been about 10 feet underwater. So I think the Lord mm-hmm. took care of that one. But those are both here in East Texas and coming into something like that. And me and my dad were in the, and you'll probably know this county well, Humboldt County, California, and, mm-hmm. and which has got maybe more missing people than just about anywhere in the world right now um, because of the, they did a show on Netflix called Murder Mountain. And uh, me and my dad are on top of a mountain and, 2002, I had did a cage dive with great white sharks in San Francisco. My dad went with me. He didn't go on the cage dive. No way. But he, <laughs> for, we said, Let's, if we're going to go, Dad, come with me. We'll go up into the Redwoods for a couple of days and go do photography and stuff. So we went up on top of this mountain. I had new night vision gear. And uh, we end up getting chased off a mountain. Literally, the, tr- the truck's trying to ram us going down the mountain. It was a crazy story. You can read about it at highercalling.net. And that really sharpened me up to dangers out there. And um, I mentioned that to a Forest Service game warden last year. And he said, you need to go watch Murder Mountain. It turns out this Murder Mountain place is like 10 miles as an eagle flies where I was at in the same county. And I'm like, oh, my God. But, you know, if I'm encountering this stuff out there, people are, you know, and... Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned the fact that I had a, that, that, you know, I had this person ask me what the most dangerous per- thing is. But the reason I started pursuing heavily the, the story was a friend of mine was mule deer hunting in the early season, which is late August in Utah in the National Forest. He bow hunting as far back as you can go off trail. He had been there half a dozen times, not in this particular unit, but in that, that general area. And he looks in this tree and he sent me the picture years ago when this happened a few years back. 
And in the tree is an old carving that says Ted Bundy, 1971. Oh. And that was a forest he'd known to escape into when, when he escaped his prison in Utah after he killed eight women there. And I got to thinking... Ted, you know, when you saw Ted, like, captured to the end, he looked like a deranged, demon-possessed maniac, right? Uh-huh, you see yeah. young pictures of Ted, he looked kind of suave, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't look like he'd be crazy. <laughs> so if you saw a dude in the forest carving his name into a tree, that's what I tell people who go out in the woods, you got to think differently now about this. Like, okay, that's nice. Maybe just stay a distance if you see someone in the backcountry and, and use common sense because people like that use charm remoteness to do their evil deeds, you know, and that could be some of the things that are happening with some of these, some of these missing people here. Uh, I had an occasion to talk to a, let me see how to say this, uh, a wildlife officer. And I was talking nothing about this. All I mentioned was I said, Hey, I would like to interview you about the dangerous things you encounter, like, you know, running up on poachers late at night in the woods and those kind of stuff. And he said, yeah, like all those missing people in the Sam Houston national forest area. And I'm like, wow. So, you know, and I've been asking around since I had you on the radio show. And there are people that, you know, that kind of know what's going on. So the, so the word is getting out there. And one of the things I saw online was, the, and I've got to have to ask about this, was a body found. I think it's just across the border in San Jacinto County, right close to there, in a barrel on some property. Do you know anything about oh. that one? Yes, I know. Uh, I did a I did a lot of research on that one. Yeah, I yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. So what what happened there? I mean, that's that's pretty close proximity to all this, and uh, you know, you hear body and barrel, it gets a little freaky. Oh yes, it does. And I I it was so close to Montgomery Liberty, that's why I got my attention. Sure. And I thought, you know what? Let me take and do some research on it. And when I was doing the research on it. I found out that the man that was arrested, him and his brother, were arrested back in the 70s for murder. What? Yep. And I was like flabbergasted when I found this out. And I had to double, triple, quadruple check because I thought, how can this guy be out if sure. he was arrested for murder? Yeah, back I was going to ask. And they had to be pretty yeah. young back then, right? He was. And that was part of it. His brother was over 18, but he was under 18. And not only did they murder, they were actually doing some horrible, oh, it was worse than that. It was, wow. it was I, have to, I have to bring it up here because I wasn't ready for you, but they ended up killing uh, two people. And he, the one brother got off and, uh, well, he went to uh, juvenile hall. So he went to GV and, back then and yeah. didn't, didn't face the adult uh, penalty phase thing, right? Right. And he was, he was, uh, eventually he got out and I, uh, but the, uh, older brother, he got out eventually too. So he goes and he kills two people and several years later, well, not several, we're talking about almost 20 years later. Now the guy who was arrested, was that the younger guy? Uh, he was the younger brother that was arrested and the older one was arrested for molesting his granddaughter. Oh, Lord. Jeez, terrible. And he's now in jail for that. So, so that guy is in jail for that. And the other one that was a younger one that got away with it because he was in juvie instead of fit, you know, doing a large sentence, they, they found the, the body in the barrel on his property? 
Yeah, they did. That well, actually, it's the parents' property that commune I was telling you about. Okay, that parents, property. so family property. So family it, property been in there ever since back in the seventies. Have they identified the body? Uh, yes. His name was, I believe, it was Kirk. Okay, so they have found the body, and have they linked it to, for sure, the people on the property? I mean, to me, that doesn't seem like a big leap, <laughs> you know. That's not a leap, big leap. And I looked, and I was looking to see, I'm trying to find Kurt. I think his last name is Kurt. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, they were arrested for murders in 1978. So the man that was, uh, yeah, they, and we're not just talking about murder. I'm talking about torture and the whole nine yards, wow. keeping people uh, in, um, chained up and stuff. That's my how God. bad that my was. My God. Yeah. And so, so it was. I've got it on a missing Texas 40 if anybody yeah, wants, anybody wants to, to check that out it. there. Yeah, sure. But yeah. That, I had to ask you about that one because that's all in that area right there. Once again, you got people that have been, you know, they went and served time for murder and proven in that area. And then you have all these other activities. So it just seems like there's a, there's a lot going on. But I mean, I know this is a, an area of interest because of the, the proximity, but the, there are there are cases of people with crazy stuff like this going on in remote areas all around America, like Humboldt County, California. I mean, that's tied directly to the drug trade. That's known. The law enforcement officers know it. Um, I experienced that myself. And one of the things I try to do, Jerry, is and by the way, I just salute you for your diligence and for doing this. I know you're not like making a ton of money off this. <laughs> I know how this works. So thank yeah. you for getting the word out and raising awareness. And that's that's my Thanks. goal here. You know, in the corporate yeah. in the corporate wildlife media world, people don't like to touch these topics because it's negative, quote unquote. But I think all that's stupid because you want to make people aware. You know, if you've got like little, you know, little Susie with the gluten-free sandwich and the vegan lunch coming from Austin to move into the Big Thicket National Forest area or the Big Thicket area of East Texas, never been around any of this kind of stuff, only lived in a high-rise apartment. And this person mm -hmm. doesn't know of the criminal activities out there. And she takes her family out for a picnic strolling in the big thicket somewhere or in the Sam Houston National Forest with no level of awareness. Then, you know, that's almost negligence on the people who communicate to these people. I'm like, you have to let them know what really goes. Don't, don't scare them, but maybe scare them enough to, to be prepared and do some research. For example, I do not go to the Sam Houston National Forest now. I don't go there. There are areas, yeah. there are areas of um, East Texas that I used to go in the woods because of the propensity of the meth trade. I don't go in anymore. I just use my wisdom like I'm not going to go there. And then there's other spots where, you know, I, I go to remote places and I have kind of a system that I do. Number one thing is I have a game plan. I have my wife and at least one friend will know where I'm going to be. And I don't deviate from that spot, general area. Um, and they have a time that I'm supposed to get back. Like, I'm going to get back if I have to go by myself in one of these areas. And then when I go there, I do something very simple. I call it strategic parking. Look, if you ever seen, like, a Friday the 13th movie or something, Jason always ends up whacking at least one person in the movie because they, they had to back up while he was coming after them to get stuck in mud, right? So yeah. you literally, I make sure that if I have to go to a dead end road or whatever, my vehicle is turned the way I'm going to retreat out of the area. So I don't have to do that. I also like to park in an area. I can see my vehicle from 50 to 100 yards away approach because I can glass it and look and see if someone's around there. I can see if there's an ambush waiting, those kind of things. 
and um, I also like to uh, make sure and ha I have a I have a beacon I have it called Spot X. And if something happened, I can hit an SOS signal and every emergency alert system in the area is going to hear it. And I can send a text to my family. This is what's going on. This is the GPS coordinate if something were to go on out there. And um, I'm from Texas. And we got concealed carry and, we, and I carry guns when I go places. I'm trained and I carry a knife and I just go not expecting to have trouble, but also being a little bit prepared for that. And uh, just one of the things, though, now is just using that evidence. I'm like, you know, and there are areas along the border right now, like, um, oh, right. yeah. Oh, my Lord. I mean, I my father passed away on a hunting trip with me six years ago. He died of a heart attack. We're right on the uh -huh. Mexico border, very close to a friend of mine's ranch in Jim Hogg County. And um, you start talking to people. You and I both know this. Like, you can put something on Facebook, you get info. But when you pick up the phone or go one-on-one, -on -one, people will tell you stuff they won't share on social media. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. start talking to locals at like, you know, the little coffee shop or something or, you know, in a cafe, people start telling you stories about like, you know, like, you know, the gangs coming around, they're shooting at people on ranches and people being taken and all kind of crazy stuff. So there's certain areas mm -hmm. that, I, that I avoid and it's not fear mongering. It's just making people aware so they can be safe and things like this. And of course, what you're doing is you're, you're raising awareness of that as well, letting people be able to know there may be hope for that person, that their voice is, you know, their voice is still crying out for that missing loved one out there, that people can communicate and say, hey, maybe we can do something about this. Yeah. Now, yeah, I wish it, yeah. Now, what's, what's kind of next on your agenda with Missing Persons of America and Missing Texas? What are you still digging into the cases, or is there anything else out there, any clusters of missing people and maybe in rural areas in America that we need to know about? Yeah, you know, I, that, that, I mostly seem to be, I, I always look for that because I'm thinking that this Texas can't be the only place. There's got to be something else, but so far, I really haven't run across anything where there's a lot of people missing from one particular area. And so I just keep digging on, on the Missing Texas 40. I, I get um, tips from people. I will uh, post something, and then they'll say, oh, it, it, they'll remember a story, or they'll think back, oh, I knew these people. And so that's, that's one thing that pushes me forward is when I get information and I take that and I can kind of build. I, I've got notes of stuff that I've heard from people that they, a lot of times they want to remain anonymous. Sure. Because <laughs> they're scared. They're Absolutely. scared of, of what might be out there and they don't want to become a, a missing person themselves. So they'll tell me stuff and then I promise I won't uh, reveal where it comes from. But I'm able to uh, gather all this information and then like one thing here may connect to something over there that I didn't have a connection before because someone decided to come forward and tell me. So uh, that's what I kind of do is I just kind of, sometimes it goes real quiet and then something will pick up and I'll get several phone calls and I go, Oh, well, there you go. And I'm off there's a racetrack in that area. No, I hear <laughs> you. I, out new information. No, I hear you. I'm the same way with some of this. I'm doing a lot. I do a lot of stuff for like animal attacks as well. And we had a feral hog kill a lady um, about an hour from where I live. And then right mm -hmm. there, interestingly, right there in Montgomery County, um, we had a guy, here's the dogs go after something, went out at night and a hog tried to get in his house, it was busted the door open. All kind wow. of stuff. Yeah, right there in Montgomery. I didn't know they did that. Yeah, wow. so so I wrote a book on hogs about uh, eight years ago, and I did investigations on like 
you know, um, human attacks around hogs. And it was fascinating to see, especially in Europe, because they're native to Europe, right? And there are numerous instances in Europe of hogs busting in people's houses, like three or four that I found. And there was one in Pineville, Louisiana. But this guy finally, the dogs and everything, he was able to kill the hog and get it out of the way. But um, a lot of stuff going on out there. But like I said, when you go out and you actually start talking to people about what's going on out there, you, you, you hear different things. And, I, and, I, and just to kind of wrap up for the people listening, we're going to be doing a lot on higher calling here periodically about dangerous um, you know, how to survive in the woods from law enforcement people on how to how to deal with a, a dangerous encounter with a person. A lot of things to try to raise that awareness. And I say that there are different levels of human danger in the woods. You have idiot hunters, people who should not be hunting, which is probably 5% of hunters. But that's 5 that's 5% too many. They'll shoot at anything that moves, right? And uh, we hear mm. every, every year of someone that's dangerous statistically because of the numbers that are out there, especially on public land because there, anybody can go there. And then you have the level of poachers. Uh, poachers in Africa, whole different level because they're literally right now, and I'm talking to people with Safari Club International, Houston and Dallas Safari Clubs, they're supporting anti-poaching patrols in Africa right now that are being funded by uh Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, and Russian mafia because they're getting so much money, up to a quarter million dollars for one rhinoceros horn. Um, you know, uh. Uh, tens of thousands of dollars for elephant trunks. But in America, there's not quite that level usually. But if you're someone out there and you confront a poacher or something or a game warden does, they're armed, they're already creating criminal activities, it could be very dangerous. And then you have the level, which is very, very dangerous, of finding a, a pot field or a meth lab or something oh, like yeah, huh? something like that. And then the worst, most terrifying would be a human predator. Someone, you know, that's that you you do encounter that serial killer or that sociopath out in the woods. So those are different levels of danger and we're gonna cover them all. And uh, we appreciate you being on, Jerry. Thank you, and God bless you for what you're doing for the families of missing people and for the missing people. Um, it, where can people? We're all the we're all the places that people can find you online. Uh, missingpersonsofamerica.com, the website. I'm also on Facebook, and also on Facebook is the Missing Texas Forty uh, page. So if you can go right there, and there's a nice small community of people that. We're concentrated on that just one subject. Well, we've covered it all here. We've had a missing folks for 20-plus years, a cluster of, like, what do you say, 47 missing people. 47. Bodies and yeah. barrels, convicted murderers and torturers <laughs> all around this area yes. adjacent to the Sam Houston National Forest. And hopefully that no one listening ever encounters any of these evil actors out there, whatever's going on. And we make no suggestions of what all is going on because there's not a real pattern. A lot of weird yeah. stuff. But hopefully these cases can be resolved. Something can be found out. And if there are a pattern of some, somebody doing something nefarious, a pattern or group of people, they get found out. Well, Jerry, I can't thank you enough. Yeah. Thanks for being on Higher Calling. All right. Thank you, Chester. Bye-bye. Higher Calling is brought to you by Texas Fishing Game Magazine, our official sponsor. You can check the online edition out at fishgame.com and also subscribe to their e-newsletter. And if you'd like to meet a personally 
subscribe you to that newsletter because I actually can do that. You can email me at chester at chestermore.com. Fishgame.com is not only wildlife and fisheries in Texas, but we cover things going on nationwide. And you definitely subscribe to the newsletter. Three updates a week, killer, killer stuff put together by yours truly. Once again, Higher Calling is sponsored by Texas Fishing Game Magazine at fishgame.com. You've been listening to The Higher Calling, hosted by the wildlife journalist Chester Moore. Contact him at chester at chestermore.com. Follow him at thechestermore on Instagram and his blog at highercalling.net.